Good morning, and welcome to Queen's Law Pro Bono Radio. I'm your host Tony Yin. Queen's Law Pro Bono Radio discusses interesting and off-center legal topics that aims to make legal discussions more accessible to you. We strive to stimulate interest and provide information while always being entertaining. This week's show is on the impact of social media screening on the hiring process. Before we start the show today, we would like to say that the views expressed on this show do not necessarily reflect the views of the producers, hosts, or the Queen's University Faculty of Law. This podcast does not contain any legal advice. Pro Bono Students Canada PBSC is a student organization. This podcast was prepared with the assistance of PBSC Queen's Law student volunteers. PBSC students are not lawyers, and they're not authorized to provide legal advice. This podcast contains general discussion on certain legal and related issues only. If you require legal advice, please consult with a lawyer. In today's digital age, social media has evolved to become an important and sometimes necessary part of everyday life. With the boom of social media, personal information has become increasingly available and accessible. Correspondingly, some employers have began to use social media to screen candidates during the hiring process and learn information about them beyond what is provided in their resume and cover letter. According to a survey cited by the Harvard Business Review, 70% of employers check out applicants' profiles as part of their screening process, and 54% have rejected applicants because of what they found. To many employers, social media offers a free, easily accessible portrait of what a candidate is really like, yielding a clear idea of whether that person will succeed on their job. However, while candidates' information may be just a few keystrokes away from many employers, there are many risks associated with conducting social media screening, particularly human rights law, privacy law, and inaccurate social media portrayal are some of the main concerns faced by employers. Joining us now in the studio to discuss the impact of social media during the hiring process is Mr. Mark Ellis. Mark is currently the owner and lead lawyer at Ellis Advocacy. Mark is also an instructor at Queen's University of Law, where he teaches topics including employment law and fiduciary obligation. Previously, Mark was a partner at Baker McKenzie LLP Canada for almost 20 years. Mark is a leading practitioner in Canada in the fields of fiduciary obligation and labor employment law. Mark has been to all levels of court and seen many of the topics we discuss in classrooms today first get argued in front of justices and judges. Mark is also the author of Fiduciary Duties in Canada, the leading treaty in Canada on the topic of fiduciary obligation. Mark, thank you so much for joining us today. Tony, thank you for the uh, vainglorious introduction. I don't deserve it, but I'm very delighted to be with you. You and I are colleagues in the legal profession. I've had the great luxury of dealing with you in class, and uh, I'm very appreciative of the invitation and overture today. I also applaud your introduction and your research relating to this very significant topic, which is layered in all kinds of societal impact, but especially in the employment relationship. So thank you. Thank you, Mark. Those are very, very kind remarks. I'll graciously accept them. But like you said, social media is definitely a ever-evolving and developing field, and it's definitely touching on many different legal topics, but specifically in the employment field, it definitely has made an impact. And I'm just wondering, in your opinion, when did you first begin noticing this trend of 
social media not only impacting the personal space, but also the professional employment space? And why do you think that happened? Thanks, Tony. You know, I'm, I'm an old guy. I've been a lawyer for over 40 years. You, know, you don't shake your head when, you, when I say I'm an old guy. You just say, no, you're not. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. But I am. I have been a lawyer forever. And the, the time that I became first aware of this was when the time that uh, the advent of social media, to be honest with you, we back in the day were used to sort of doing things with snail mail. It was a leisurely pace. You could build in insulators in terms of timing and the impact and confidentiality. And then all of a sudden, our practice, yours and mine, our legal practice has morphed into being instant gratification and instant communication. It brought with it a lot of expectation that is unlawyerly, to be honest. The idea of instantly responding to a client's concerns or to opining over the airways or by by uh, electronic communication is really uh, a sea change for lawyers. So I was back in the day when we used carbon paper and had uh, sealed envelopes, now we don't. We by and large have stopped the paper chase, although paper is of course of enormous importance to people like you and I as lawyers. But the, the, the long answer to it is I had a Blackberry and people wondered what it was I had on my belt. They thought it was a beeper and I must be a surgeon. In fact, I was one of the first people with, I think, luxury, but I also think it's a curse of having instant communications on my belt, which two-way looped. And so from there was the slow build to understand the nature of this beast, the nature of communicating instantly, the nature of having intuitive as opposed to reach searched responses, and then the issue of the publication of where it goes. I became quickly aware as you have in, in, with great currency, but me back in the day when it was in its fledgling uh, concept uh, of, of um, having a address book and having people who would be on the answers that would, you know, you had to check who, who is that person whom I'm globally emailing to, you know, that type of thing. And so that was always um, from the earliest iteration of concern in terms of that aspect. But more importantly, Tony, what really became a challenge is who owns these communications? And, you know, a letter going out under a sealed envelope to one person, the recipient has the product, but the creator owns it, right? So lawyer could send to a client a highly confidential communication. And so it would be that much tethered to what you and I understand to be privacy, to be confidentiality, to be protected communications. So much different now with the way we transmit it's not only from the upfront aspect of communications like this, but also from the nefarious issue that people can intrude into your space by way of hacking and other things. These are highly confidential communications that you and I as lawyers have with our clients and equally that employers have with their employees. So it's, it's dangerous to understand that not only is this an imperfect degree of communications, on an instant basis, but also it's challenging in terms of protecting it. So you'll see those long spiels that you and I use in communications with clients that, you know, you say, hi, how are you doing? And then there's a 25 page caveat in the, in the email saying, this is a highly blah, 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 blah. So and those are all things that are prophylactic for purposes of these types of communications between lawyer client and equally between employer and employee. 
But the problem is that it's an imperfect form of protection and the broadcast nature of it and the instant degree of communications, you know, Bill Gates said early days, this is business at the speed of light. It, it's something we have to remain ever vigilant and ever, uh, ever um, aware of, Tony. And so the answer, very long winded, I apologize, is that I became aware of it as soon as we started to use this type of tool for communication. Thank you, Mark. That definitely makes sense. The instant nature of communication, as you mentioned, definitely has changed, changed the game, uh, for lack of other words. But uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, in the employment context, then, for a potential candidate, is there a concern then by, by the employer that there's a potential uh, risk of, of the candidates being hired by then leaking confidential information? Is that why screening has become so much more important in the past few decades. Yeah, so you know uh, that the employment relationship comes with it with an implied degree of fidelity and confidentiality. It doesn't have to reach the higher echelons of fiduciary obligation between senior executives, board members, and that type of thing that equals the obligation of, of um, confidentiality that exists between lawyer and client. It, it is basically wholesale born of the employment relationship that there's confidentiality. So yes, uh, employers are must always vanguard the protection of proprietary information. The law protects that uh, proprietary information in a number of ways, including that by implication, as I just discussed, by way of contract, by way of uh, trademark, copyright, and other things. But yes, it's a really active ingredient. But what's interesting to me from the perspective of social media is the degree that stuff travels so instantly fast. So it's almost like the, the, the horse has left the barn before you got a chance to shut the door, you know? So it, that volatility is something that people like you and I have to be very, very conscious of in terms of protecting our clients relating to the employment, the, the uh, degree to which there's dissemination of highly confidential employment information. The other thing that's interesting from the perspective of the candidate for employment is the degree to which social media is an, is an available tool for assessment of a candidate versus policing an actual employee. And I think that's a fascinating world that's ever changing for purposes uh, of lawyers like you and me. Thank you, Mark. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I guess anything you put on social media, like you said, is instantly broadcasted all over the web, right? So there's definitely more thought that has to go into it and, and more concern as well. And one last thing that you mentioned is using social media to assess the candidates, uh, which is a fascinating field. And uh, in your opinion, how have you noticed employers utilize social media so far in Canada to, to assess candidates during the hiring process? Yeah, well, you elsewhere and this and today have indicated your research in this area, and it's very it's very purposeful uh, information on a global basis. Uh, on the ground, running for a practical purpose, I have recognized two things about social media input. Number one, people love their 15 minutes of fame and somehow they're turning it into years of fame. I mean, what did you have for lunch is the latest thing, you know, and so people really believe that others and certainly there may be an enormous audience that is fascinated by what you had for lunch. I'm not, but bottom line is people love to communicate. 
And I was, it's interesting because I heard uh, a couple of the big players in, uh, in social media, uh, the, the, the Microsofts and the Facebooks and all those executives talking about the fact that what they thrive in and what is really necessary for Congress and for the legislators of the world to consider is that people now communicate more wholesomely and more effectively online than they do in person. You could have a situation where a person's standing next to the other and they prefer to communicate on their devices. So, so that's, that's cultural. But it also, it comes with this soft underbelly uh, and currency of challenge because what we do know, which is different entirely than that age old letter that I talked about where you type it out or you put it on, you print it out and you put it in a envelope, you seal it and there's one recipient. This stuff is indelibly etched forever in the, uh, and available. So you, if you have great acuity with computerization as an employer, you can do a deep dive into what an individual has been busy doing. And as much as you and I as lawyers intuitively would say, hey, wait a second, that's private. Well, it's not private because the person who would deem it private, you know, that's my social interactions, none of your business, is publishing it for all and sundry to see. And what surprised me more than anything about all of this is that we took that old royal mail, I used to call it the royal mail rule, which is that it's private and no one shall open it, no one shall look at it other than the intended recipient and the sender. Um, we know, and you know, that the communications that are online, not only are they available to everyone who can access them, whether it's legitimate or illegitimate, unlegitimate, but the other part of it is that the ownership piece for an employer, a person who is using an employer's equipment on an employer's system, they could be doing all kinds of personal things but what the law says is, if you're doing it on your company equipment, based on company transit, based on company networks, it is owned by the employer. That seems to creep into even the candidacy piece, because if you get invited in, you know, as a candidate, typically employers now are saying, well, do you have any problem sharing with us your Facebook uh, site? Do you have any problems or anything we should know about what you've been doing online that would be of grave concern to us as employers? Those type of questions, as you know, Tony, they're really awkward and they're potentially unavailable, but, they're, but they are the rule of the road now. And so an employer will, through uh, computer experts or on their own or however they do it with their human resources departments or they do it with their outside vendors, they will take a deep dive into what people have been up to because as you well know, it's mercurial how quickly liability can come up for employers relating to what their employees do these days. So I think that's one of the big concerns I have as a lawyer, who owns it? What right is there? Is it intrusive? Is it protected by privacy rules? And I think on the whole, any individual who's um, communicating via social media should recognize that this is, a, this is the wild, wild west in terms of protections. There ain't any, in effect, my view. Yeah, that's, that's definitely very interesting. I guess one thing with all the drama going on with uh, data sharing by, by the big company is definitely privacy concern. Uh, one thing I read that's pretty interesting, I want to get your opinion on it, is 
this expectation of even having privacy in a public space, right? So even in real life, you sit down in a dinner table and have a private conversation, you still expect certain degree of privacy. But it seems like online, when you put anything up there, there's just no expectation already. But do you think there should be a expectation built online, even for such a public space for, for certain private conversations? You know, I think the law insulates people from the disaffectation of having global communications on an ongoing, expansive basis by simply deciding after the fact, what do we do with this information? For example, if you were to terminate an employee who is an employee already, not a candidate, uh, based upon something they did online, they do have available to them to say that's none of your business. It's none of your business. Yes, I did it on my computer that you loaned to me for the duration of my employment, but I did it at 8 p.m. and it was with my friend. And yes, I didn't, I'm not happy that you know about it, but I understand how you got access to it, but it is none of your darn business. That's available to the employee. However, the employee at that point is already embarrassed. The company is already unhappy. And to the extent that it's this age-old uh, adage that I used before, it, the, the horse has left the barn, right? So you can try and reclaim all that and, and try to differentiate between what's personal conversation or communication and what's public and what's uh, uh, dedicated to the employer. And by and large, that argument is available to an employee prophylactically to distance the employee from their personal versus their professional communications. But the fact of the matter is it all bleeds together on a practical basis. So I, I don't know that uh, we can advance the interests of privacy or privacy too, in too wholesale a way inside of communications that are gratuitously provided by individuals for sharing across a wide specter of audience. So I, I, I actually think it's more important for people to become increasingly aware of how careful they must be versus how um, ingenious they might be after the fact. Uh, that's, that's a great point. Like you said, once it's done, the damage is done, right? So it's a little bit harder at that point. Um, but, you know, I think, I think even moving forward, there could be certain lines where we're strong, where employers just can't use social media in whatever way they want, like the wild, wild west, like you suggested, right? So for example, I read in certain articles, uh, for example, Business News Daily, that employers have in, in the US have even began asking candidates for their login information for social media sites. Would you think that would be too much, too, too egregious of an invasion of privacy? Or do you think that just what's going to happen next uh, in terms of this employment space? Yeah, I think if there's any firewall whatsoever that uh, an employer must get past either at the candidate stage or at the in the intra-employment situation, then I, I think that's a bridge too far. I, I don't think any employer should ever be able to say, you know, we can't see, you're not visible on the following chat lines or the following postings, they're private, but as far as we're concerned, uh, you used our computer, so we want access, we want passwords. I, I believe that's entirely a bridge too far, and I don't think it will ever be available in Canada uh, to employers to, to go that to that degree. I do think it's a different issue, though, if an employee, if a candidate is asked, what's going to embarrass us? 
because it seems like an odd question, doesn't it? I mean, you want this candidate, you're active with this candidate, you, you, you like what the candidate brings to the table, but boy, oh boy, I mean, it takes, it's so mercurial, the damage to a company from the mischief of and behaviors of others uh, that as much as it may be a open question, whether you can ask such questions, I, I know that most employers do. It's a kind of a carte blanche. Is there anything we ought to know? But it, it's increasingly an important question because you don't you don't need to look at it, the visit afterwards, uh, the 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 damage that an individual, especially at a highly ranking uh, post, uh, can do to your enterprise and its goodwill by finding out these things that surprise everybody. I mean, you look at the governor of New York. I mean, everybody's incredibly surprised by all that. You look at uh, some of these executives in these major corporations, mostly in the state. You look at the firefight between the Rogers family and all the emails that have come out over all that. It's just a public, it's a, it's a public lynching often these days. And it's something that employers and employees have to be equally uh, very careful and prudent about my view. Yeah, for sure. That that definitely makes sense, especially, you know, these employees, once they're hired, they, they're a representative of the company's brand and image, right? So it's important to definitely do a little bit of filtering, uh, even at the candidacy stage. Uh, but but one, one concern I have then is with all these information now available, could, could be there be other concerns, for example, human rights concerns. Once there's so much information available to an employer, how do we know how they're making a candidate's decision. How do we know they're not using discriminatory information they found online, right? So uh, what do you think about that? I think it's excellent you raised that. I think the answer to it, and you know, I'm a fairly practical guy in addition to being a lawyer. I know that practically speaking, you throw all the stuff into a hopper and you take a decision. And as much as we lawyers tend to think we could surgically suggest that an employer took a decision based upon having found something out that is prejudicial, that is protected under the human rights regimes. Um, it's, it, you know, to, to be that surgical, to make available the fact that an employer's discretion was wholly relegated to one specific issue that is unavailable to the employer without having better evidence of it, that's, that's a tough go. You can throw those allegations out, you know, you can, and sometimes these things are very bald, bold questions. I remember once that I, I was dealing with an employee representing an employee who had been asked by their employer, do you ever intend to get pregnant? Well, hello, you know, so those are easy. But if, if an employer has a whole synthesis of things that they've come to understand about an employee, and they just simply say, you know, we love your resume. We're keeping it on file. You just don't fit the piece. You're not the piece for the puzzle at the moment. You know, Godspeed trying to get behind that to figure out what human rights have been violated in those circumstances. So I, I, I take very much your point. I think it's an important point. Employers must be ever vigilant to not be using uh, discrimination in their hiring processes. Increasingly, you know, people don't, as I understand it, I haven't been involved, but you perhaps have, people don't, don't show up on screen. They simply do it electronically and get their candidacy put forward without having even an interview. That's so that particularly U.S. companies can avoid any allegation of ageism, racism, any, anything that might open 
their flank up to liability or to such allegations and, and good for them that they, they want to avoid those things by candidacy, but nothing beats a in-person conversation about how good the fit is going to be. Right. So I, yes, I think human rights is alive as a at the candidate stage, but I think it's very difficult to police it. That, that definitely makes sense. I guess it's something that employers should be aware of, but like you said, uh, in practical terms, it's hard to really pin down when and how an employer comes to a decision. So it's definitely a tough field. Yeah. And you kind of mentioned the U.S. And I've definitely read that, you know, the U.S. and the U.K., they're kind of tightening up on these social media uh, legislations, providing more guidance in what is, you know, what is appropriate and what is not appropriate. What have you seen in those countries in their response? And do you think the, those could be uh, imported into Canada, into Canadian legislation as well? Or what is your opinion on this? You know, frankly, you're more authoritative on those points than I am. But my, my two cents on it is that uh, legislatures are really struggling now to get ahead of this situation. It's largely said that Google rolls the world and that certain governments are allowed to saddle up to them and decide how to run their specific country, but it's ultimately Google in charge. I mean, that's been said facetiously, of course, but it's, you know, to the extent that China says you can't come in with openly with Google and communicate, you use our platforms, that's an attempt to get past the enormity of two uh, entrepreneurial intrepid guys in California who really own the, own the web, right, to some degree. We all, we all use it uh, every moment of every day these days, and, and they are a quiet enterprise that largely rules the roost. It's no question that Congress and that par Parliament in uh, Britain and the EU, uh, China, Japan, Canada to a lesser degree, all those authorities are trying to figure out how to stay ahead of this because you can't control so much the indelible shifting of communications, of commerce, uh, even if you take it down to the common denominator of how do you tax stuff? I mean, eBay started off being a real free flow market that was untaxable. It still to a large degree is. So you find the legislature saying our tax revenues are falling off because of social media, because of communications online, because of the gray market, the black market and everything else. So do I think there's an attempt to advance control of social media on all levels? Absolutely. Do I think it will be successful? I think it, it will by and large be years uh, before they can figure out a methodology by which to do it. But, you know, it's interesting. There always seems to be a crutch and it might well be the tax position because, you know, they couldn't get uh, what was that famous gangster? They couldn't get Al Capone other than his failure to file tax returns, right? He murdered a lot of people, but they got him on tax. I think this may be the soft underbelly of social interaction on uh, social media and, and online is that the tax revenue is really driving these countries and these authorities batty. And so they're probably going to end run us and, and intrude in that way and then build on that in terms of uh, governing this almost ungovernable um, horizon. That definitely makes sense. And I just want to ask a clarifying question. Uh, when you mentioned tax, do you mean the tax generated through social media by these large companies um, or, or uh, what, what are you referring to? 
yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm being, um, uh, I'm, I'm actually suggesting that all forms of revenue that would otherwise be captured in, in uh, the old bricks and mortar are being, um, are not being collected by authorities. And so to the extent that the replacement of bricks and mortar with social media, with online, is all a wholesale shift, um, sea change in how we do commerce and how we communicate about how we interact globally, locally, nationally, that I think to answer your question about will there ultimately be uh, statutory provisions governing the internet, it will be born of taxation as a plural with plurality. How do you tax this darn thing? How do you capture people inside of this universe? How do you regulate this universe? And I think they'll do it with their tax powers as the, as the start, as the loading end of, the, of, the, of it, and then regulate it past that. That's what I meant by it. Mm -hmm. Definitely makes sense. And I guess linking this back to something you mentioned earlier, which is the ownership piece. I mean, nothing online is really owned anymore right even if you look at netflix uh before we used to buy a movie and we own that physical dvd right but now we're almost just borrowing from netflix to to watch a film at any one time right so uh it's definitely interesting to see the inter intersection between these and and uh to see how it develops moving into the future right it is interesting because i saw the feature on uh, one of the subscriber-based media companies where you could buy the download or rent it or have them ship you the DVD or, you know, and I feel like I go back to, you won't even know what this means, but an eight track and a reel to reel tape, you know, it's just all advanced so dramatically to the fact that we, we own concepts. Now we own, we own ongoing uh, fluidity as opposed to owning anything you can actually put in a, on a shelf. So it's fascinating and it's fantastic, but it's also very, challenging to regulate but I, I think it's coming I just don't know what it will look like or how how intrusive it will end up being Tony definitely makes sense and you know thank you Mark for already taking so much time and before we go I'm just wondering if there's any other areas of concern or interest that we have yet to bring up that you want to discuss in terms of social media and this impact yeah, I mean, we could go on forever and I would enjoy it very much. I think that uh, to, to sort of bring uh, an end to it in terms of the philosophy that we're talking about in terms of if we were concentrically talking about the employment relationship, I think it's important to understand that social media informs all aspects of employment. It, it definitely informs the candidacy. Uh, it's for a lot of people, it's too late. They're already out there showing who they really are. And many employers are taking a left turn on it because they just don't like the cut of the jib of the individual. They're too noisy. They're too communicative. You know, people like you and I, we're, we, we cloak ourselves in some degree of uh, severity around how much we communicate with whom and what we say, because we know, you and I know as experts in the legal aspect of this, that it's a very dangerous thing to start just willy-nilly communicating on, you know, an array of, of tangential things online. We just know how dangerous it is. Most people don't. Intra-employment, I have had a opportunity galore in regulating and policing employees inside of the employment universe as an employer lawyer to look at all the stuff they do online. 
and they don't think you have it available to you. But since you own the equipment and you own the communications, you do have it all available to you. And, you know, usually employers uh, don't take advantage of that opportunity. But if things go sideways, if there's a problem with the employee, they will go there and they have a right to go there, ironically, which you and I would say, well, in a privacy world where we're advancing privacy all over the place, how can that be? But that's the fact of it. You can do that. And then if you look at the post-employment relationship, employers will regularly do a housekeeping chore with a departing employee because they don't want their stuff stolen. They don't want their information stolen. They may just want to know why it is the employee wanted to leave their environment or what the competitors were doing to grab their employees. And then they can track that on social media after the fact. And it's often the stuff of liability and it's evidentiary sound stuff to deal with in terms of post-employment. So it's a plenary field for you and I as employment lawyers that we know that we have to watch all aspects of this, both from the disadvantage of it, but also of the great advantage of it from the perspective of the employment relationship. So that's my thought. Those are my thoughts. I mean, as I say, this is the stuff of great vigor that we could bring to this and have a discussion. And hopefully we will offline on a continuing basis. But the bottom line is, I think, we're trying to capture the essence, I should say, of the enormity of this aspect in the current modern employment relationship. Yeah, for sure. Like you mentioned, it's it's a field that touches on all aspects of employment, right? The before, the during, the after, and it's still growing, it's still ever expanding. And our understanding of social media is still growing as well, right? So it's a it's an interesting field to keep an eye on, uh, definitely in the in the foreseeable future. And Mark, yeah. um, thank you so much for taking the time to join us in the discussion of social media. It has been extremely delightful to listen and hear your point of view regarding these issues. And once again, I would like to thank you for joining us today on Queen's Law Pro Bono Radio. And to all the listeners out there, thank you all for tuning in. My pleasure. Thanks, Tony. Talk soon. Today's show was produced by me, Tony Yin. I'm your host, Tony Yin. If you like this interview, you can find more on the Queen's Law Pro Bono Radio website. Before we end the show today, we would like to say that the views expressed on this show do not necessarily reflect the views of the producers, hosts, or the Queen's University Faculty of Law. This podcast does not contain any legal advice. Pro Bono Students Canada, PBSC, is a student organization. This podcast was prepared with the assistance of PBSC Queen's Law student volunteers. PBSC students are not lawyers, and they're not authorized to provide any legal advice. This podcast contains general discussion of certain legal and related issues only. If you require legal advice, please consult with a lawyer.